0: What's up, bro? Aye. (laughs) (laughs) There's not a rule that you have to use the two subs. He's he's the best left-back in Canada, without a doubt.
1: And hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the 3rd Sub Podcast, episode 96 to be exact. I'm your co-host Alexander Gungi, Ruzik. I'm joined as always by Sam for this edition of the 3rd Sub Podcast, presented by Macy's Sports. But before we dive into everything that we have to dive into today, in terms of Vancouver Whitecaps as they take on Houston Dynamo, Sam, how are we going this week?
0: doing well, doing well as we as we roll into the weekend here and yeah, ready to ready to talk some Houston Dynamo. Uh, don't feel like we say that too often. It's probably one of the more forgotten about clubs in the league and certainly whenever I whenever I bring up the fact that, you know, we don't always know a lot about what's going on around MLS. I feel like Houston's one of those teams you point to where not a lot of national media coverage, not a lot of general MLS buzz. They just kind of go about their business. Um, obviously Tyler Pasher's kind of, when he went on that little run at the start of the year, because he's Canadian created some buzz up here. And I know lots of people were playing him on fantasy for a couple of weeks, but picked up an injury that's kind of died down. So we're going to do your, our best to bring you up to speed on what we know about the Houston Dynamo, what we're expecting from this matchup. And as we laid out in our last episode, as has really been laid out in the interviews done this week post training for the vancouver whitecaps it's all about setting the tone heading into this break and they the whitecaps have not downplayed the importance there's there's been a real emphasis of anything placed on getting a positive result of some form heading into the break building some confidence so in that sense even though it's maybe not the you know the most Hollywood of matchups, Vancouver versus Houston. It, it certainly matters a lot for both teams. So excited to get into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, I guess we won't waste much time and kind of just go into the topic at hand and it's the Houston Dynamo. I mean, a strange team. They're entering the the first year of everyone's favorite thing to do nowadays, rebrand as, as teams love to do. It's a forgotten rebrand. It's, it's, it's
0: all the rage, it's this like,
1: rebranding thing. Like Houston is such a forgettable team that they've rebranded and no, one's no talking one. No one really cared. Them. Like they 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 rebranded their logo. They kept their name wisely. They didn't become a Houston <laughs> FC or something stupid like that. But uh, got a nice a, a logo. I think they got some of the nicer colors and kits in the league. Kind of quietly, the orange kind of some some about the orange. Kind of rock with the orange. But uh, you know my my point on rebranding this whole time has been uh, if the product on the field isn't marketable. It doesn't matter what you're wearing on your chest. It's going to be hard to 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 get fans and seats and get interest in the team. And I think, based on what we've seen so far, there needs to be some work uh, that that has to be done in in that putting a product on the field. Because good coaching, you know, nice branding, good city. There's all the potential there for there for Houston to be a good. MLS franchise but uh even just compared to their two Texas counterparts now Dallas FC or FC Dallas sorry and the new guys on the block Austin FC Houston uh has kind of entered this season as a bit of a third wheel and they have a bit of ground to make up in the reputation department
0: yeah certainly Houston over the years has been it's been a challenging franchise I mean they've got the Houston in general is as someone who's been there, albeit relatively briefly, very, very spread out. Like, cannot under or can't overstate how huge of a city Houston is. Nice. And everything is just miles and miles and miles apart. Like, for you know, I mean, this applies to a lot of America, but forget about like not having a car. This is very much a you drive 15, 20 minutes to get everywhere type of city. And the stadium's in a very random spot. Like, it's not really you know, in an area where you're going to be doing other things and you just walk to the stadium. Like I think of a Portland, you can, it's right in a really vibrant neighborhood. So it's kind of the Chicago syndrome where it felt very opposite to that. So they've definitely struggled with that. There's obviously, there is a big, you know, there's a big Hispanic community. There's big, like, there's a lot of immigration into people living there in Houston. So there's definitely like that community to tap into, but I just don't know, as you said, Alex, you know, the the on pitch product has to market as well as the marketing itself. And it's just been, it's been tough sledding. This isn't a roster where you, you look at the names and you're, you're blown away or super excited. There's, there's no one on the roster you point to and go, that's the reason I'm going to go to a Houston dynamo match. That being said, under the coaching of Ramos, they've done a good job so far this year. I think they've been, they've been impressive to most MLS pundits, certainly you know, already sort of exceeded my expectations that I think a lot of people had them penciled in right at the bottom of the West, and they've, they battled so far. So we're gonna kind of we're gonna dive into some of the specifics. But yeah, it's a Houston's in in a curious spot. So I don't I don't know much more than that in terms of the situation. Although we will touch on the back end, there are some rumors about a potential transfer of ownership. And that could always make some waves.
1: Yeah, well, I think Houston is a sports town from what we've seen. I think Houston Rockets, the support for them as a basketball team has been enormous, very big brand name, very popular in Texas.
0: But and they've we, always had the big players to back it up.
1: Exactly, and even Houston Astros make of what you will about how they won about and won their titles. They've always kind of been a big team in that market, a team that fans have really liked, and it doesn't make sense that the Houston Dynamo can't be – part of that with their rich hispanic community etc etc i just look at houston i see a very mls 2.0 team i think if you're looking at teams in mls they might be the most mls 2.0 team out there for me it's between off the top of my head between well actually three teams in my head i think new england revolution i think a houston dynamo i think colorado rapids i think new england's kind of evolved they've spent the big bucks on guys like carlos jill and gustavo bow you know they've made a transition out of being an mls 2.0 team so for me it's between colorado and houston i just look at houston one dp they've still got the dynamo rebrand like the branding just looking at some of their they're filled with american college players and guys in their mid-20s to late 30s uh, you know a, an american coach and that's not a slight at all against houston this is you know what credit to them i, I looking at what they've done and what they've spent, they've put together a pretty decent roster considering, again, they only have one DP, but uh, it's so interesting how they, I just look at their roster and it screams MLS 2.0, which is forgotten. We're so used to all these teams, these LAFCs, these Atlantas, these Torontos, where it's MLS 3.0, 4.0, spend money, get young Latino players from, from South America and do this and do that. And it was just, it's a forgotten, you know, Houston Dynamo, a bit of a forgotten relic from from a, a time which, you know what, pit, on pitch product or not, was, was kind of a glorious area of MLS soccer. But uh, certainly it's hard to, it'll be interesting to see if that sort of soccer can sustain itself in this new high spending, high flying era. I, I
0: really, really like the Colorado Rapids comparison because there are a lot of elements that are similar, but I think that the Rapids have kind of, they've, adopted a similar strategy but it's just it's been in my opinion smarter like the the additions they've made the they've gone with budget signings they've looked for you know guys on the cheap within the league they've looked for value or market inefficiency elsewhere around the world but i just like a lot of the additions colorado has made and some of the ones that houston's made which we can get into it's kind of like uh okay sure another 30 year old vet like it's It doesn't necessarily fit. It feels like there's more of an overall vision in Colorado. And yes, they're kind of doing it differently than a lot of other teams in the league, but there feels like a purpose to those signings. I think with Houston, there's a sense that they're just kind of living to fight another day and not picking out what they want their team to look like five years down the road. But maybe that's just me. That's kind of where I see the, the similarities and differences between those two franchises.
1: Well, kind of to start, I think I like their identity with Houston. What I've liked is that they've stuck some sort of identity and it's the fact that they're, they're kind of strike me as the, the prototypical lunch pail team. And I think that kind of starts from a guy like Tab Ramos who used to play in the league. He was always a very competitive player. He was kind of, you know, not the flashiest player, but he was, he got the job done. And you know what? I like that identity he's transmitted to his team because just looking down the roster, And just looking through their last three games, there's a lot of rotation. You know, that doesn't seem like anyone's place in the roster is safe. They're actually kind of a deep team in the sense that from roster spot one to 25 there's not as much of a you know big dip in quality if you're from some other teams where you got loaded at the top of your roster from Ramos one to-
0: Ramos has been the anti Mark DeSanto so far this year
1: oh rotation wise yeah he's he's, he's <laughs> not afraid to, to 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 turn to his bench and rotate but just even yeah in terms of his team's depth what they don't have in top end talent I just like their depth I look at their starting a lineup for example, the game I have here is Sporting Kansas City, their last win last week. They beat SKC, a team that made the Whitecaps look pretty foolish, just to give you an idea of the sort of quality Houston can have. They put out a pretty good starting 11, but then I look on the bench, I see six, seven, eight names that could easily have rotated in the squad and, and made a difference. And I think there's something about that identity that, that's going to lend them well in this MLS season, in this Western Conference, just because... With the, with the congestion in their schedule, they're going to be able to rotate and turn to names. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of egos. Say a guy like Darwin Quintero, who we'll talk about in a bit, the, the big guy on that team, the DP, the star, he's kind of had a bit of an outburst, you know, in terms of, oh, I should be playing more. Egos starting to come out and he's been relegated to the side. So it really strikes me as a team first mentality kind of side. And I think as we'll kind of dive into some of the individuals and what they've actually done, I just think in terms of identity – there's a very coherent way of doing things. And I think that's that's fair because you look at what what's going on there, especially financially, the whole uncertainty around their ownership. Obviously, I think in the off season that impacted their plans. They weren't able to really make many big splashes. So they've decided to go kind of money ball almost in a sense in terms of building an identity. And you know what? Credit to them for that because as we'll kind of see going through the, the roster, they've got a very set way of playing and a set you know, style of guys and, you know, the roster is very balanced. And I think that could lend itself very well over the co- course of a 34 game MLS season.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a real credit to the, the coaching staff kind of making the most out of out of what they've been given to because to a certain extent, okay, you, you have some roster depth there, but you also kind of, you create an environment where depth players have the opportunity to contribute. And then that becomes actual depth you can use based on that structure you set up. And it feels like Houston has done a nice job sort of, okay, we don't have the top end. So how do we try to build an advantage or at least build, you know, a competitive asset? And they've done a nice job with that so far. Um, Do we want to talk though about the last time out for Houston, probably their lowest moment of the season so far, just in terms of a, a frustrating defensive performance, one really embarrassing goalkeeper error, which, Never sits well with a team. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean, this is the matchup we were just talking about, but not in the front office. It was actually on the pitch. Colorado Rapids 3-1 over the Houston Dynamo. So, Alex, your your thoughts from that one, anything you kind of picked up or that stood out to you?
1: Yeah, I think that's a a tough performance for Houston away to Colorado. Obviously, Colorado's kind of slowly started to wake up up ever since that white caps game where they got all their pieces back and i think it showed just looking at you know watching back on the highlights looking at the game itself sam vines scores a goal obviously the opening goal he's back to full fitness looks like it's full service down the left hand side for him and then diego rubio obviously towards the white caps with the that free kick and then cole bassett who's continued his his rise and i think that just for houston you know colorado completely outpossessed them, outshot them, kind of controlled the game. And it was just, it wasn't really a good road performance for Houston. I think that's also an indication of Colorado playing at the altitude. They do tend to do a bit better at home. And I think that's, that was tough for Houston, because I think heading into that Colorado game, confidence was quite high. A few days earlier, they took on SKC at home and won. And I mean, you know, it, was, it wasn't the, the most, I guess, sexy performance, so to speak, using that word, just looking statistically 44% possession, one shot on target, five shots total, but they won one, nothing. They scored the one shot on target they had, they defended their, you know, as if their life depended on it. And I think that's more of an indication of the kind of team they are. You're looking at all their, I guess, seven games they've played so far, obviously they got, or six games, sorry, they've played both so far. All of their games, just looking down, they've got a 2-1 win, a 2-1 loss, a 1-1 draw, 1-1 draw, 1-0 loss. Their their team that likes to keep things tight, and I think against that Colorado, in that Colorado game, sorry, 3-1, it kind of shows that things opened up for them. That early goal, obviously, from Sam Vines didn't put them in an ideal position. And I think that, that was just one of the rare off games for their defense. So I think if you're the Whitecaps and you're scouting that, you do take a few notes as in, okay, an early goal could be you know destabilizing considering how much emphasis they put on defending. But I just think it, it was a case of Colorado making them play the sort of high event soccer that Houston isn't really wanting to play. They want to be a low event team. They want to be a team that scraps and fights and makes one nils, one ones, two one sort of games and I think that's shown so far this year.
0: Yeah, and as much as you praise the the squad depth and the use of it, that was one of the factors I think in that Colorado match. They went to a three/5 slash five at the back. You had like a right hand side that was basically guys that hadn't gotten start so far this year. You had some ro- major rotation in the midfield. There were just a lot of pieces where maybe they didn't have it quite dialed in and then the combo of that coupled with the rapids being on the rise coupled with you know a challenging environment on the road i think it was just a little bit too much to overcome and that's that's the challenge for houston i think is that they're gonna stay in most matches but everything kind of has to go right or they have to they have to keep it close and hope for a for a good break. It's going to, as you said, they're a, they're a lunch pail team. It's, you know, grit and grind. Hope it's, hope it's tied in the 75th minute. And then let's see if we can get a late goal. That kind of feels like the way that, that Houston is going to win a lot of matches. And in this, in this fixture with Colorado, all the scoring in the first half, and that's just not beneficial to Houston. They, if they let a game get away from them early, they don't necessarily have the horses to just get after it and you know draw two three goals back in quick succession.
1: Well, kind of moving on before we go into some of the individuals, just looking at some of the numbers you've wrote in terms of expected goals against, not necessarily great, but despite that they've under or I guess overperformed their xG in terms of defensively they've kept guys out. Just looking at some of those numbers what do you think that suggests about Houston? Do you think they're certainly do you think they're playing up to the sort of standard? Like do you think the numbers reflect what they've shown so far? Or is this a team that's overperforming? Is more to come? What what would you think the numbers say about Houston heading into this game?
0: Yeah, so I was looking at this and I think that Houston's probably gonna be a team that defies expected goals all year, right? Like they're gonna get more out of their opportunities and more out of their roster than maybe they should. And so I think this is an indication that, you know, maybe the the start to the season has been a little in air quotes lucky or like overly positive. But I also I don't expect, you know, their outperforming expected goals to just regress massively. I do think they kind of play a style that lends to them you know, surrendering some chances, but, but ultimately like doing a pretty good job battening it down. So yeah, points out to their, they're in similar territory to the white caps in that sense where they've, you know, the XG hasn't been kind to them so far, but I, I kind of view it in terms of Houston as being somewhat sustainable. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a huge red flag.
1: Well, just kind of maybe going into some of the individuals, we've got a few flag down here, obviously I've got a few as well start with matias vera i think in midfield you know defensive mid midfield 25 year old from argentina seems kind of to it's be the the, pl-
0: the yenio bakel vibes
1: exactly the kind of guy that makes houston tick makes them you know do well defensively if they're gonna do things in midfield it feels like he's the kind of guy that you know this, this metaphorical strata to stir the drink and i mean you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. He didn't play against Colorado at all. Is, is
0: no, exactly. They fully rotated the midfield. You had, uh, let me just double check, make sure I get his name right. Derek Jones was in there. Darwin Suren as well. So that's, uh yeah. And, and both the matches that uh, Houston's won so far, I look at it, three guys. You had Tim Parker and Boniette Garcia as the center backs. And you had, uh, you had the Argentine in there in the midfield. I think when they have those three as kind of a core shell defensively, there's a lot more organization there. And when they lack that, things can get a little bit messy.
1: So I think it's going to be interesting for the Whitecaps to kind of see what Vera can do in midfield just because the Whitecaps are struggling right now to play through the middle of the park. And I think if they're going to stick with that 4-4-2 as Mark DeSantos has alluded to, just for that last game before the break, before you know, doing some data judging analysis, all that as we will talk about later, midfield could be an area of potential concern for 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 the Whitecaps. Just looking at Houston, a guy like Vera kind of shielding the back four and giving a bit of protection, so to speak. Obviously, Daniel Bikel, Michael Baldissimo, Kyle Alexandre. You know, Kyle Alexandre of those three are probably is probably the kind of the only guy that could say take on Vera and make him uncomfortable and try to make him work just because Bikel is more of a defense first kind of player and Baldissimo likes to operate from deep. So it'll be interesting to see if the Whitecaps, you know, obviously they've focused a lot of their play down wide areas and looking at Houston's fullbacks, how aggressive they are, that could be an avenue of, you know, profit, so to speak for, for the Whitecaps. But I'm curious to see what kind of role Vera plays in midfield because it kind of strikes me as, someone who could be a very big protagonist in this game, so to speak, at, at, at defensive mid, just kind of controlling tempo for Houston and making it tough for the Whitecaps because just looking at these two teams, Houston doesn't keep all that much possession, neither of the Whitecaps. I think the Whitecaps will probably hold more of the ball. I think that seems to be more Houston's MO is to, to play without it. And I think if the Whitecaps are holding a lot of possession, they've shown to struggle to break down low blocks. And I think Vera could be very much in the middle of that, breaking things up and, and kind of carrying Houston along here in this game.
0: Well, yeah, that's the question that I'm asking myself that you sort of led into, which is, are the Whitecaps going to do enough in the midfield to really challenge him? You know, what, what can they provide? Do you, you hope that Lucas Cavallini isn't left out in an island again and isn't having to drop so deep. To be fair, Mark DeSantos did talk about it in his media availability yesterday. It's obviously something they're aware of, creating those better chances. He also did talk about how Cava's getting better in build-up play, and that sort of concerned me a little bit because I don't think that should be a focus, but it's a topic for another day. Uh, Yeah, he's definitely going to play a key role, and I think the more someone like Kaio Alessandre can get involved... The more even Yannio Bakel makes some attacking runs in and around the box, the more it can put stress on a guy like Vera. But if all he has to do is focus on shutting down a Dahomey or a Cavallini, then it's gonna be an easy night. You know, that as you said, sitting in that low block, if the Whitecaps don't do creative things to challenge Houston centrally, I think you know, Houston will do a nice job cleaning things up. Where the area of potential weakness is, as you mentioned, those attacking fullbacks. They're good progressing the ball. They're good getting involved in the attack. It does leave space defensively. So can a Gutierrez, can a uh, Debre Caicedo, can those guys get involved a little bit more? Bruno Gaspar, if he's back, can he have the same kind of effect he had in his one start so far? I think that's kind of the, the area of strength. Because, yeah, Vera might do a really good job clogging up central areas.
1: We're well, kind of moving down the pitch in that case while we're on the theme of defense Let's talk about the guy everyone's obviously going to be talking about. I feel like we're going to get a fair fair share of run of this on the broadcast.
0: Did you know this he time. used to play for the Whitecaps? Tim Parker. <laughs> Might that have
1: been low key through six games one of the, you know, better trades in MLS in the off season. Obviously, you know, it has to hurt from in one sense if you're a Whitecaps fan thinking all the way back to 2018 when they traded Tim Parker away. Looking back, they probably should have traded Kendall Waston because obviously there's the whole talk of oh Tim Parker might go to Europe or he needs a new contract. Obviously that didn't happen. They traded him away for Felipe and some money. That ended up didn't end up going great for them either. It ended up just being a loop of a you know, of a trade. Waston ends up leaving eight months later anyways, would not have been, you know, looking back, imagine had they kept Parker, who was still young, given him a good contract traded Watson for more money who's going to leave anyways for nothing where could the white caps have been now one can only wonder but uh you know he clearly he went to new york big things were, were happening he was the guy with aaron long everyone's like this is a great pair then he kind of fell off this year he gets traded to houston for 450k in jam which just seems very low for a player of his his quality and i think he's shown so far what he can do for houston having played and help having them help you know helped them become a bit of a defensive force so just you know aside from that colorado game just in every other game they've only allowed two goals or you know once aside from that colorado game every other game was one goal allowed or even that clean sheet against a good sporting kc team so just looking at tim parker might have bringing him in on the cheap been an excellent piece of business from houston
0: I mean, yeah, I think it's a rock solid piece of business, and to, you know, say it was the best acquisition of the off season, maybe isn't isn't saying the bar well, super intra-MLS, high,
1: intra-MLS, but uh, yeah, you know,
0: but nonetheless, I mean, it was it was a tough year for Tim last year, didn't didn't play very well, but it's so far it's felt like a return to form. It looks looks more comfortable. I think the the fresh start has done him well. Obviously, going back to the Whitecaps days, I mean it was a multitude of factors that led to that transfer, whether it was wanting to be on the East coast, wanting to be with what he felt was a more prominent team to, you know, get exposure for the men's national team, whether it was just, you know, the, the contract demands of the time, there were a lot of things that led to that. So as much as, yeah, looking back, it wasn't, it obviously wasn't a good transfer. I, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too into the revisionist history. I think, you know, you look at Eric Godoy and Ranko Vasilonovic and, and, Derek Cornelius, I don't know. I'm 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 pretty happy with the way that turned out all things considered. But yeah, good to, good to see Tim returning to form as I mentioned, you know, when he's been paired with Boniat Garcia back there, it's they've been rock solid. Sometimes the other defensive partner if it hasn't been Garcia, it's been a little more of a challenge. But uh o- overall center backs I guess a a position of strength relative to other spots on the on the Houston roster.
1: I guess kind of moving down kind of to finish off on the defense I think like it's important to talk about Marco Maric the Croatian goalkeeper kind of a you know interesting season so far Int- just interesting how everything worked out with him because obviously before uh, Joe Willis was the guy in goal for Houston he was kind of the familiar face you're used to seeing him they didn't protect him um at the end of 2019 in the expansion draft Willis goes to Nashville Ends up being, you know, a fantastic pickup for Nashville, helping them have one of the best defenses in the league. Houston picked up Marco Maric as his replacement. And, you know, so far he's got, he has good, pedis- you know, pedigree the Austrian goalkeeper, having played at Hoffenheim. Obviously didn't play much at Hoffenheim, but he was obviously part of the system. Played for Hanover in Germany, you know, and played in Norway. Played in some, you know, good clubs. And he comes to MLS, to Houston, he's held down the fort so far, as we mentioned, Houston's been a good defensive team, but uh, heading into this game, his confidence might be in a bit of an interesting spot. He made a very rare and quite disastrous error uh, against Colorado. He gave away the ball uh, pretty much, uh, you know, Hugo Lloris versus, you know, Manzukic in the World Cup final vibes or, you know, trying to play it out of the back, hits it off a Colorado forward and in or Steve Clark and, and Diego Valeri in the 2015 MLS Cup. If you if you go back that far and uh, might might his confidence be a bit shattered, but, you know, that aside, feel like that's been a quietly good pickup and another reason why Houston has been uh, so solid at the back so far this year.
0: Yeah, I was going to say if you... You exclude that unfortunate moment. It's been a really solid start to the year for him, and I think yeah, it's a it's an area of strength, not an area of weakness for Houston, and and maybe there's a bit of a a whitecaps esque uh, line of inquiry in there where when you don't hold a lot of possession and you surrender a lot of shots, it can make the goalkeepers look good because they're they're facing you know high volume and if you have that low block sometimes the high volume's not super high quality so you can get your hands on the ball a lot but i think he's been he's been strong so far and and again yeah you kind of got that you know got your defensive midfielder you've got solid center back pairing when fully healthy you got a solid goalkeeper that's a nice base but it's just can you get all the other pieces to kind of work around it
1: and that's that's the question i think moving on we've talked a lot of positive about the defense and all the work they're doing obviously just looking at the western conference now with eight goals against uh through six games they're middle of the pack i think if you remove that three goals they conceded against colorado they would have been one of the better teams but uh just looking it's really seattle and then it's everyone else obviously in terms of defense i mean seattle's allowed two goals and then the next best team is salt lake with four which is quite interesting but then after that it's teams with six, seven, eight, kind of like the Whitecaps in Houston. So it's interesting that heading into this game, who would have thought between the Whitecaps and Houston, two of the better defensive teams, despite getting, you know, both being on the end of three goal shellackings on the weekend. There's a lot of interesting coincidence there, but then looking at the offense, obviously having fall, fo- you know, following the Whitecaps, you know, what a bad offense looks like, you know, Whitecaps with five goals and six games, none of them in open play, but just looking at Houston, seven goals in six games. I mean, they're above a goal per game, but as we've seen them through most of their scores, they only really score one or two a game. It's not like there's been any big bursts in there. They don't create many shots, but they don't hold a lot of possession. XG wise, they're not really creating all that much as well. I mean, just looking at them with all these, just kind of looking at their offense, what to make of it. There's just a lot of Decent players, a lot of MLS veterans, but there's a whole lot of, not a whole, not a lot of talent there. And it's kind of reflecting in their offensive numbers so far this year.
0: Yeah. It's generally low event or they capitalize on defensive breakdowns or they capitalize on just kind of low XG opportunities that they, that they happen to score on. So it's, it's been very much goal scoring by committee so far and creation by committee you've got Mimo Rodriguez who's you know been been in the league came up through the Houston Dynamo system he's done a pretty good job he's been by far the most the most active shot creator he's got 22 shot creating actions which is it's 11 more no 9 more pardon me than than any other player on the roster but you've also had Max Rudy who obviously Whitecaps fans will know from days in Portland days in Dallas as well days in Montreal or those are those all the teams? I don't know if I uh I you, kept you've covered I, most of I think <laughs> Dallas,
1: Montreal, Houston, yeah. there's a few others. Portland, I think, was one of them. Yeah,
0: that those are the three I mentioned. Um uh, and then and then Tyler Pasher as well. Obviously had that that little run of form before the, the hip injury and you know, he's been dynamic at times when he gets on the end of balls. So that's been that's been exciting for, you know, Canadian soccer fans to see another another Canadian having some success in MLS, but overall it's been, it's been very spotty from Houston and you don't, you don't necessarily know who's going to contribute or show up. Maybe that makes it a little difficult to prepare for if you're Mark DeSantos, cause there isn't, it's not like SKC where there's an Alan Polito that you, you know, you have to try to contain, but at the same time, there isn't an Alan Polito that you have to contain. So, you know, it, it kind of gives and takes offensively there where, you know, maybe this is a good a good weekend for the white caps defensively where they're not really threatened too much, or maybe some of these guys had have, have good days and then can create some problems.
1: What's well, interesting, looking at some of the numbers here for Houston, they're third last in terms of expected goals per game four, which isn't good. Even the white caps are better than that in terms of expected goals per game. But if you, if you apply some filters and look at the nuance, talk about the Whitecaps, obviously second worst in open play because somehow Columbus just isn't doing all that much. Columbus in
0: is incredibly low event at both ends of the pitch. It's, it's and, really funny.
1: Like Yeah, they're just a marvel of a team. But looking at Houston, they're sixth worst, which sounds bad in terms of expected goals for per open play. But they still, despite that, generate 0.35 more expected goals per game in open play than the Whitecaps. And they're kind of in this middle of the pack between Houston and sixth worst, worst, sorry, and if you go all the way up to, I'd say, New York City and fourth best, there's just kind of this only gap of about 0.3 to 0.4 XG because all the teams in the middle are pretty similar in terms of generating open play chances. Then you got really just your anomalies. You got Nashville and San Jose and Seattle, who are your your top teams from open play. And then you got, you go to the bottom, you got your, your white caps and your, your Columbus and your Cincy's, which is, you know, feels bad for the state of Ohio. Not a lot of open play goals there, but uh, yeah, just looking at Houston, they're actually a sneaky good team in terms of providing an open play. They're not all that good on set pieces, which first of all, if you're the white caps, don't be shy to punt the ball out of bounds if Houston's threading in transition. You know, just looking at the set-piece advantage could be, could be an avenue worth profiting on defensively and offensively. But uh, in terms of open play, I think that backs up the Houston squad, just looking at some of their players. They've got a lot of guys that, you know, Tyler Pasher I've been a big fan of since his USL days, Canadian guy. He does a lot of his damage on transition, having watched him play a few games this year. Guys like Christian Ramirez, you know, the former LAFC man, he's kind of a speedier, smaller striker. He's not your true target man, but he does well in transition. Memo Rodriguez, even if the white caps remember from the last time Houston played them in 2019, or at least not the last time, but when Houston played them at home, he was all over the park. so okay at some of the other attacking, even a guy like Fafa Pico. You know, he's a bit older now, but he was always been, you know, from his days with the Union and Dallas, more of a guy that in transition a speed kind of guy and just looking down the roster that really is what strikes me even a rudy there's not necessarily big plodding number nines or this and that but it just is a really sneaky speedy team in transition the kind of team that it makes sense that they want to counter and send guys forward in numbers because when you got guys like a rudy ramirez memo rodriguez fafa pico you don't really want to be holding possession letting them get many touches, get the ball wide, cross it in, stuff like that. You want them more to to be attacking guys one-on-one. Pasher as well, obviously included. You know, Lungfist, as we'll mention well, is someone who's been very good at left-back for them. They're just a very transitional team, and it's fascinating to see that. As a result, they've been actually doing pretty well from open play, but they're, ac- they're not actually a team that wants the ball to go out of play because they don't have that much height offensively or defensively, and that could kind of be a an area where the white caps do have a, a rare advantage in a game like this
0: yeah they, they, they very much come off as a a streaky transitional offensive team and i think a guy like max rudy is a perfect example of that like no matter what team he's been playing for in mls there's nights where rudy has taken over a match and and looks dominant and has a brace and then there's other nights where he's nowhere to be seen right and that's kind of I think if you're the White Caps you have to try to you have to limit those transitional chances. You have to really control the ball and keep your structure and not not play into Houston's hand and provide them those kind of transitional opportunities because as you mentioned when you take a little look at the numbers they are unlike the White Caps so far this year really capable capable pardon me of capitalizing on those transitional chances and they have a a wide variety of guys wh- either with the history or the capability of taking care of those, you know, those opportunities when they do come. So it, it's kind of a, another bit of a banana peel for the white caps. You know, can you, can you avoid it? Can you limit those kinds of opportunities for the opposition while creating chances of your own?
1: That's it. And I think it, it, just looking at that, the whole deep lying sitting back that doesn't bode too well for the white caps. That's not something they've done. Unless
0: they're able to change something in the way they play.
1: Yeah, and I guess we'll kind of talk about that in a bit. Last few names kind of here, we mentioned him there, Adam Lungfist at left back. Interesting player, kind of an inconsistent left back. But uh, on his day, he gets forward for Houston quite aggressively, really, which I could see why Tab Ramos went with that five at the back to try to kind of unlock him against Colorado. Obviously, didn't maybe work as, as he would have intended in that game. So, but uh, obviously, a, a goal of theirs to to get him more up the field. And I think that that's kind of an indicative of, of where he's at as a player. I think he's a very offensive-minded fullback. Sometimes defensively, he can be a bit caught out. It does help they have the support behind him to kind of allow him that, that freedom. But I feel like he could be a potential X factor down that right-hand side for Houston, especially depending on what happens personnel-wise. I assume the Whitecaps are going to bring Bruno Gaspar back in Obviously, it sounds like he's fit in training, but say a guy like Jake Nowinski, if he ends up starting again, he's kind of struggled with with players coming down that left-hand side as of late, and a guy like Adam Lungfist could be a, another potential dangerous left-back that could give him a bit of problem down the left-hand side, so it could be interesting to see what uh, Lungfist has to, to offer uh, in this game Saturday.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're looking for a, a white caps comparable, you kind of get Christian Gutierrez vibes. Like, it's He's not necessarily going to be doing step-overs and dribbling guys one-on-one, but a lot of positive passes, a lot of progressive passes, a lot of joining the midfield and attack and kind of getting involved in that way. So I think that's something to look forward to. Um, As you mentioned, it's a really good point about who the Whitecaps start at fullback and how that could change the matchup. Just looking at comparables here, Alistair Johnston's one of the top guys that comes up in terms of a comparable. Um, and then looking down the list, no one else really. Well, Christian Gutierrez at number 10. I didn't know that until I, <laughs> until I looked. So it goes to show I'm at least somewhat on the pulse of that comparison. Yeah, it's just, that's, it's not necessarily a guy that's going to, you know, take control of the match, but certainly that's one of the more, the more, again, another dynamic transitional piece and when they get forward and in space and kind of sense that opportunity, he's a guy that's going to join up and maybe play a a key ball to unlock the attack.
1: Yeah. And I think lastly, the one name we got here, a name familiar to Whitecaps fans, but not sure what is going to happen to him heading into this game, his participation. He was left out of the squad altogether last game, Appeared to be with the knock, but uh, who knows? seems like there's some sort of conflict going on. Darwin Cantero, obviously is the guy, former Minnesota United, playmaker, Club America man, very talented player, but always a mercurial personality. And uh, Houston's lone DP, he's only played 39 minutes this year. What to make of that whole situation? Because he's obviously a kind of guy who always torches the Whitecaps. He's the kind of guy that his style of play lends well to the Whitecaps. But, uh, you know, Houston's most expensive player continues to not play. How do you go about handling a situation like that if you're Houston?
0: I don't know. It's a, it's a confusing situation, and obviously there's a rift between the, the player and the manager, but I'll, I'll read you this. 82 matches played in MLS, 73 games started, 28 goals, 30 assists. Like that is some serious production that's now he is good for a now, he, 10. now he is 33 so maybe maybe getting a bit over the hill in terms of his his top days productivity wise but you have to think that if you're Houston and you're looking for a clinical guy to finish attacking play that's a nice tool to have on the roster. Now, mind you, you know, two of those years with Minnesota teams that were improving or Minnesota teams where he was very much the focal point of everything, but even so last year, a really poor Houston team, 22 games played, seven goals, 10 assists. So that the production is still there. They've just got to find a way to get him involved in a way that works for the coach in a way that works for him. As you mentioned, he's always been a bit of a curious personality, so maybe this doesn't come as a terrible surprise, but that's the, if this was happening in a bigger market in a, in a team where there was just more media buzz, it would be getting a lot more attention. So maybe this, he gets a surprise start, but uh, just looking at some of the local journalists and comments from the last couple of days, I don't know if fans should expect Quintero to start in this one. Cause it seems like there's still some kind of disconnect there.
1: Yeah. And I think kind of on that note, I think it lends well the idea of money and finances into some of that destability that you know or lack of stability that we've talked about in the Houston ownership department, obviously. Some interesting moves happened last year, such as James Harden becoming an investor in Houston Dynamo and in the Houston Dash, and obviously becoming a focal point of their advertising campaigns, their rebrand campaigns. But uh, you know, <laughs> James Harden or not, he's he's just a, a very small piece of that pie. Obviously, as a minority owner, doesn't quite have the salary to to, to pay the to become the full owner of, a, of an MLS team, especially with the price that it costs now. And I think. And we've seen that in the last few days, as it's been reported by M- Mark Berman of KRIV Fox 26 in Houston. That That's a Dyn- mouthful. That is a mouthful. And that the Dynamo and the Dash as a package deal, obviously the Dash being the NWSL franchise that is quite successful. They won the ch- first ever Challenge Cup last year. They're loaded with Canadians such as Michelle Prince and Sophie or Sophie Schmidt and Alicia Chapman, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, you know, Two very historic franchises, so to speak. Obviously, more the the Dynamo are more of a historic franchise. The Dash are a newer one, but an up and coming franchise. But as we mentioned, it, fan interest has been a struggle. That's why they rebranded both the Dynamo and the Dash this offseason. Then their struggles continue because it's reported that their owners want to sell for for a price that's around four hundred mil. And I think just hearing all that news explains a lot about what's gone on in Houston. Just looking at some of their transfers, say this off season, where instead of going after, they have two open DP spots, first of all. And one of them's on a guy, they, you know, their one DP they have is a guy in Quintero who's 33, who they traded from within the league. You would have wondered, okay, could they have been a bit more aggressive? Could they have gone after some different names? But uh, instead they just decide to stick local, guys like Tim Parker, Fafa Pico, kind of some of the names they targeted in trade in trades max or Rudy, obviously last year for or for off season sorry for kiki struna not exactly high profile moves but i think this ownership situation kind of it gives you almost rsl vibes in a way you could kind of almost see why they've kind of struggled to make moves and why that's kind of been a cloud over over the the franchise and obviously because the parallel is made it's far from the rsl situation obviously rsl they had issues there. They, the owner, you know, he wasn't a good owner. He said questionable things he had to go, but just kind of using that parallel is showing, okay, when you've got something like that going on behind the scenes where your owners are trying to move on from the club, it can cast a cloud over what's going on. And I think just hearing all that, it, it helps explain a lot of what's going on with Houston. I think this ownership change, if it goes through, could be huge for their club because I just think they need a bit of a fresh, injection of something because they've got a good coach they've got good branding they've got good history they've got a good fan base a good city but uh they're just lacking some of that that final piece that that uh, maybe ownership is is what they need to to kind of set that ship on track and allow them to start investing filling their stadium becoming a true powerhouse in mls once again
0: yeah and the the rumored potential owner is new york businessman ted siegel who Runs a, you know, it's a mergers and acquisitions firm and well, as well as real estate and other investments. So, you know, very, very fluid in terms of what's actually going on there. But yeah, I don't know, not necessarily local ownership. So I don't know how, I don't know how that plays in what the investment would, would be in the city itself and kind of growing the, growing the brand. But you have to think that a, you know, some kind of change and injection of money on that front could be positive. It certainly has the potential and i think you know the the dash are a very attractive franchise right now like in a lot of ways i've seen and heard a lot more buzz and social media you know one way or another about the dash over the last year than i have about the dynamo and it goes to show as you said alex it's not about rebranding or about you know how you dress it up it's about whether or not you can have success on the pitch and we see with the dash they've had success on the pitch and that's translated into more traffic more interest more marketability and so hopefully the the dynamo are able to continue to build and kind of do similar things
1: well the dash are just a different case because they've got top players playing there they've got some of the best players in nwsl they've got a lot of us and canadian and other national team players obviously i mentioned some of the canadians but just looking at some of their Yeah, yeah. or I was
0: just going to say outside the Thorns, the Dash would be the next team I would think of in terms of prominence. And I think that 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 says something just in terms of the quality they have.
1: Exactly. And I think it kind of shows the importance of investing in players like that. And I think Houston, they just, they need to, I I think as ridiculous as it seems to say, I think they need to invest money in a star. And, you know, it's so old school MLS to, to say that, but I just think looking at, the team they have, they've built up a good money ball style team, but uh, they're, they're struggling with that interest. They're struggling with getting that, you know, they're kind of, and it's not like FC Dallas, say their neighbors where FC Dallas. Yes. They're not investing in stars, so to speak, but they've got the Academy to back it up. Yes. You're not seeing these $10 million DPs coming through FC Dallas, but you see guys like Brian Reynolds, he's playing for, you know, he's playing for Roma. You got a guy like Justin Che, for example, who never even played for Dallas. Or Weston McKinney, who, you know, or Justin Che obviously is a brand new, just gone to Bayern Munich without ever having played a game for Dallas. You got Weston McKinney who never played a game for Dallas, went to Schalke and now Juve. There's a lot of, you know, a lot more production, you know, pipeline, marketable players. And there's constantly players you could go down the list that have gone through Dallas and gone to bigger things. Whereas Houston, especially just looking at that roster, just an average age, If i had to guesstimate probably would be about 28 29 just because they have a few youngsters but in terms of guys that actually play in terms of starting 11s probably has to be close to 30 every game and that's just not very marketable and i mean again if you're gonna to market you need to win so if they're winning that's fine but it just seems like if they really want to take a step forward they may as well invest some more money into that getting some dps at least adding a bit of top end punch to their roster because it is strange and i mean it's funny to think they're spending more on wages than the Vancouver Whitecaps, which is you know fun, just funny in, in its own sense, but uh, certainly shows that despite all the money they're spending on wages, maybe they could put a little more expenditure into transfer fees, and that could be a way to, to kind of revitalize the team just because looking at their makeup of their roster, that seat, they just lack that star power, especially if we're going to compare them to the Dash, who are loaded with top-end talent.
0: Yeah, it just feels like they need a an up and coming player out of Liga MX or something like that someone that they can really build everything around and sort of you know generate generate a buzz and identity that really sticks with the team and and yeah you got to capitalize on your geography you got to capitalize on your demographics and find a way to really you know market yourself with the on-pitch product because ultimately that's the way to kind of move things forward because it feels like the the dynamo have been stagnant for a number of years now where it's just kind of here we go. We roll into another MLS season without any real, you know, hope of of growth or anything super significant. So it's yeah. I'm just hopeful that you want to see every team in MLS kind of raise their standard, right? It makes it makes for a better, more interesting league. And so you you hope that someone like Houston's able to do that in the coming years.
1: Yeah, and I, that's it. I think to to kind of close off this portion on Houston, I think the ownership could be the 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 thing that pushes it forward because. As we mentioned earlier, very, I'm very complimentary of what they've done. I like what they've done, cons- all things considered. They've spent their money efficiently, despite only spending one DP. Essentially, they have no DPs, considering they don't play Quintero. <laughs> With their coaching, they've done well. They've gone full money ball and it's worked. But it's just you're looking at the market. It seems like a market where there could be so much more potential because obviously, you know, I think of a, a market like Salt Lake, whereas I see that's a good money ball market just because it's a smaller market. So it's a passionate market, but it's not necessarily just looking at Houston. It's a, it feels like a wasted opportunity to have that big of a city and not have it not be a powerhouse team, so to speak. I'm not getting the, it, 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 you know, the Houston Dynamo feel like a small town team and yeah. a big town market. That's I exactly
0: think. what I was going to say. You're getting, you're getting small market vibes from, one of the largest cities in the U S which, which goes to show some, something's not right.
1: Yeah. So it's just for me, that's, that's kind of the sentiments I get from them compared to, cause we we had this discussion a few weeks ago and talk about Colorado, very similar teams, as we mentioned, but Colorado's a smaller market. They recognize that they're kind of operating in that way. It feels like Houston, there's a bit of a wasted potential there, so to speak, but credit to them for making the most of it on the field. They're definitely not wasting any potential there. They're making the most of it and uh, you know we'll see if that gets them the results or not but they strike me as a team that can scrape into the playoffs and just it's the team you look on the standings you're like oh i don't want to have to go play the dynamo or you know you don't want to have to break down the dynamo they kind of give me give me that vibe do you want to play beautiful well 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 macy sports has you covered with the launch of the joga Benito collection over at macy's Sports in north van thinking of the iconic ronaldinho commercials ronaldo vers latin if you grew up on that and that iconic latin pop beat that that sat underneath those videos macy sports has that collection for you in store and that among many many others
0: yeah, I mean, if anyone hasn't checked it out, go go look up Macy's Sports on social. Check out the photos. Our good friend Bo shot for that promotion, that gear that that's currently available at Macy's Sports. Totally just captured the vibe there, and uh, obviously Macy's, you know, doing a lot of interesting stuff. They've got lots of good gear. Also supporting the show, giving away an MLS match ball as part of our partnership with with them. So uh, check out that contest if you haven't already, in addition to all the other great stuff Macy's Sports has a bit.
1: And don't forget, if you mention that you listen to our sweet, dulcet tones every couple of days at checkout and say you're a third sub-listener, you do get a 15% discount. So if you're here, you're listening to us, you can get to Macy's Sports, you need, you, know, you, need, you need a new ball for the new winter season or the new summer season, you need some new boots, A nice kit for the Euros. Mention you're a third sub listener. You do get 15% off, so it's worth it. And on that note, we'll go back to the show.
0: All right. Well, that takes us to the, to the white caps portion of this preview. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll dive right into it by talking some, some notes from media availability over the last couple of days. And, I guess the biggest one of any of, any of the things we heard from, from Mark Santos was the fact that everyone is good to go for the match this weekend. So they're Ali Adnan excluded, obviously, because he's not with the team. but He's kind of not in the country at all, period. Exactly. Right? But other than that, whether it be Bruno Gaspar, Andy Rose, Eric Godoy, Michael Baldissimo, all of these guys, Kyle Andre, all of these guys that have been in and out of fitness it sounds like they're all potentially available. Now, does that mean that they're at starting fitness? We don't know. And in this COVID season, in this, in this new era, we just frankly don't have access to that information or you, we're certainly not going to get it from the team. So it's, it's challenging to know exactly which lineup the whitecaps are going to trot out on Saturday, but I guess the first point about the lineup, about preparations, I want to bring up, Alex, and it's something you've asked Mark Dos Santos about several times. Change in formations, changes in tactics. Specifically, do you go to a three-man midfield of Michael Baldissimo, Ianio Bakel, and Caio Alshandre? Could we see that as a starting lineup for the first time?
1: To 4-3-3 or to not 4-3-3? That is the question. That is then that's also the title of my next article that should be dropped by the time this podcast is out. So it's certainly something that's been on my mind as it as it usually is. But uh it's a good question. Do you decide to go with the four through three or not? And I'm certainly in a case where I'm team four through three for sure. It's been something I've kind of banged the horn on since the beginning. Stick with the four four two defensively. You know, rock you're, the floor. You're three. trying
0: to manifest it in, in, in Mark's mind. You've been asking about it for over a year now.
1: And it's just slowly <laughs> getting there. We're getting there. I mean, you know, you got to, sometimes you got to manifest good vibes, good things in, in this world. And uh, the 4 through 3 is one of them. And uh, just looking at the roster, it just it's made sense since the beginning. I mean, just looking at your front three and Caicedo, Christian Dahomey, Lucas Kevin, dangerous front three if you're not going to play two strikers and a Cavallini and any one of Ricketts, deal bear or, or David Egbo may as well go with a natural front three. You look at your midfield of the midfielders, Daniel Bacchel and Kyle Alexandre Michael Baldissimo can all play double pivots, but a guy like Alexandre, if we're going to, if he's going to exercise the famed Kyle Alexandre theory, he needs to be up the field and, and, and running around and doing his thing with freedom if you want to get the most out of him. Again, if, if you want to learn more about that, I wrote an extensive piece explaining how Alexandre operates and why the Whitecaps need to get more out of him because he's been good so far. But, you know, there, there's more to come in terms of what he could provide. And I think a big part of that is the 4 3 allowing him a bit of freedom, giving Baldissimo a bit of support, giving Daniel Bacchel a bit of support. And then you know that doesn't change anything else, but the back four, the back four stays the same. The fullbacks are aggressive. Daniel Bakel drops back if needed, you know, if, to to provide cover, you know, counter threat. It just makes sense all over the field. Looking at the four four two, it's worked, and I'll mention that. You know, I'm kind of mentioning as I'm writing here. It, the four four worked. You can't say it's not worked. They've defended a lot better ever since they've put in the four four two at the end of last year, but at a certain point. You need to find a way to fix the offense and then start generating open play goals because you've got so many pieces that could help you be good in that area it's not like they're completely at a loss of talent and they can't you know they have to play the four-four-two 2 to to survive there's a there should be a way to find a balance between playing a 4-3-3 getting the offense they need and then while still keeping that defensive solid solidity so for me I'd say the four through three makes sense. But as Mark DeSantos mentioned, and it's a point I'll give to him, this Houston game, it's followed by a four-week break where there's going to be guys who are going to take time off, going to go to international break. You know, you have time to study data, see what's worked, see what doesn't work, bring up new tactics. And then when you have your full group together, introduce it to them and kind of adapt and evolve based on what you've got. Because he makes the point of, at a time like now, heading into a game after one bad loss, you throw everything away, everything you've built up to that point. What does that tell your players saying, we had it wrong, we got to you know, start from scratch. And it's certainly something I sympathize with that point from him and it makes it so interesting to know, okay, do you stick with the four through three? Do you get that one last game of data with the four, four, two to study? Do you kind of do a bit of a hybrid? Do you experiment? It kind of leaves him in a tough situation.
0: Yeah, that that's why I think the the four four two with Russell Tybert on the left is going to be back on Saturday, despite the fact that that's not it's not what I'm looking for. I just I have a sense that Mark wants to trot that out at least one more time and and see how it performs. I think you you know you you outline so many good points and make sure to check out Alex's piece when it does drop because he does a lot of very very interesting and important work in that area. When I think about the the positives and negatives of the two formations, you look at if you go in the four three three, it really feels like that front six. You're putting them all in very comfortable positions to succeed, like especially that front three. I think a David Caicedo specifically, that's changing the formation would massively benefit him. Then you look at defensively though, and if you want to defend in a four four two. Maybe it gets a little more messy. Who do you put out in a wide area to defend? Is it Baldissimo? Is it Alexandre? It's going to be Caicedo on that other side. I, I guess there are some more challenges to overcome there, just in terms of drilling that in. But I think the problem with the four-four-two, as we've seen, is that essentially you you end up compromising both of those wide players in the four-four-two. Russell Tybert's role is limited. Debra Caicedo's role despite the fact that he does jump up and attack, it's still kind of... It it doesn't unlock the most out of him. And for a Whitecaps team that struggles to score from open play, you can't afford to have two of your six attacking positions limited by your tactics. And so that's why it feels almost inevitable that if the Whitecaps want to have success, they're going to have to move in that direction. I just don't know if it's... Trying to read between the lines from Mark yesterday, I feel like he just wants to give what he's built over the first five matches, one more try, a couple more fine tunes. And then if you have to, you have to scrap it at the drawing board and, you know, get in the lab and figure out something new, the month off is the right time to do that. So, you know, we'd like to see the changes happen probably immediately. I just, I just don't know if that's going to happen. The interesting question then becomes, okay, if you go with four-four-two, which of those midfielders are you leaving out of the starting lineup come Saturday?
1: That's it. And I think that that's going to be the interesting question. And it's just because I rewatched the last 15 minutes of the first half against Sporting Kansas, basically right after they made the switch because the, I was, the good
0: 15 minutes of the match.
1: Yes. The good when they were playing the four three three and it just, it makes sense watching it back why they should stick with. It. I just think Christian Dahomey found similar pockets at right wing that he does at striker anyways. So that's fine. You're getting good, good output out of him. Diber Caicedo is attacking fullbacks more, which is fantastic. Yeah. That's what you want. It makes
0: it makes such a difference for him.
1: Yeah, and just looking at his numbers, because as I mentioned on Twitter yesterday, he's played four hundred and fifty minutes now. Thankfully, that means he gets a radar from Football Reference. And looking at his radar, it's okay. I think defensively his output's good, which makes sense. The Whitecaps are a team that defend well from the front when possible. I think that that's a reflection the fact that Dahomey, Caicedo, and Caballini usually project well defensively obviously it helps they get a lot more actions when they don't hold the ball as much but offensively they just felt like there could be so much more in Caicedo's numbers he just wasn't especially compared to to other wingers in mlS and i think that's just due to his deployment the fact that he's been played so deep on his offside almost it feels like he's better on the left wing that's good and then lastly of the front three Cavallini the more as i kind of mentioned in the last Episode. They need to focus on getting him more wide balls and more cutbacks on the ground, more crosses from the fullbacks. And I think, you know, a 4-3-3, you can do that. You can still get Gutierrez and Nerwinski or Gaspar up the field and giving him those balls. But what changes that you have Dahomey and Caicedo also able to give him those kinds of crosses from these inside channels where they're operating. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And then lastly, the three-man midfield, not much changes. I think you see Bacal and Baldissimo sit as a double pivot. I think that that makes sense baldismo drops a little more in possession. Bakel kind of plays as a number eight as Mark De Santos kind of mentions and then Bikel immediately drops back when needed. And then <laughs> lastly that allows Alexandre to to exercise his philosophy of play just a free roll to run around, you know get guys moving, call for the ball, get it back, facilitate. It just makes so much sense on, on, on so many fronts versus the four-four-two, where it's like you look at the four-four-two. What you want out of a four-four-two, you you want to be very direct when you're playing a four-four-two. You want emphasis on wide play. You want you know you're, you you you're limited with two men in the midfield offensively, so you're kind of your job is to get the ball to the front four and make things happen. And just right now in the four-four-two, they're not doing that either. So may as well go to a 4-3-3, add that extra body in midfield, make transition moments. More possible, just because you're giving up too much offensively. But uh looking at the lineup for for Saturday, kind of to go to your original point, will make it interesting to see what De Santos decides to target. Just looking at Houston, looking at their midfield, looking at their fullbacks being aggressive. Do you decide to go, you know, Dahomey and and Caicedo a little wider, or do you stick tybert out on the wing? Do you, you try Alexandre in the Tybert role to kind of? I'm give am still
0: a... I'm still feeling it. If I could if I could have it my way, that's what I want to see on Saturday.
1: Do we see Dahomey stick up front? Do we see him drop a bit on the wing? I'm mean, I'm curious to see what he says. And I think if we're gonna go off of, based off what we've seen, I think we see obviously Crepo in goal. I think we see Gaspar at right back. I think we see Rose slotted back in. I think we see Rose and Godoy for the first time. I think Godoy it seems like he's close to starting. I think. I think this is the kind of game you give him a run before the international break and if not he's got a month off to figure something out about his body so this is a good time to give him a start i think we see christian gutierrez then going across the flat four i think we see caicedo biquel baldissimo alexandre and then i think we see Dahomey cavallini i think it's time For that lineup to happen. I think that gives you a taste of the 4-3-3 anyways, because in a 4-3-3, that would pretty much be the same setup, except moved around. I think this could be a good way for De Santos to start that way. And then, oh, if things are going wrong, he makes, he turns it into an actual 4-3-3. But in reality, it was pretty much a 4-3-3 from the start.
0: Yeah. And that's why I like the idea of Alexandre playing at that that wide left position. Cause you're, you're essentially playing a four, three, three, one way or another. And right? you're not
1: hurting anyone's feelings by yanking them off 35 minutes in to switch to a four, three, three.
0: Exactly. So yeah, I don't know. In terms of differences, I think you, you make a, in terms of the lineup, you make a, a pretty strong case for all of those. I think that, yeah, I could see Eric starting. I just, if he, if he isn't feeling great through 35, 40 minutes, could get that Ranko for Godoy swap at some point. I, I just wonder whether they'll start Ranko and bring Eric in later on or...
1: Or play Derek, too, because they did... I,
0: uh, I, just, I, I just don't feel like they're going to play Derek. Oh no, <laughs> that's it.
1: Uh, I mean, I, I'd like to see more Derek Cornelius, but uh, I, I just wonder, because it's worth yeah. noting that last game against Kansas City when Eric Godoy was brought on, it was for Ranko and instead of Derek Cornelius. Yep. So we did see 15 minutes of Derek and Eric together. So True. that is, that, I I do wonder if that, that was more DeSanto seeing what that pair looked like than resting mm. Ranko. He's not one to rest center back. So that's just worth noting, you say.
0: Yeah, but I, I like your idea of starting the two vets. and And really, yeah, I don't have any changes other than maybe there's the possibility that if, Alexandre wasn't at 100% last weekend. If he's still not at 100%, maybe he starts on the bench and Russell Tybert gets into that left wing spot. That's the only area. Aerial... Or Leonard
1: Owusu, forgotten hey, man. I feel like yeah, Leonard the Owusu could man. also be, could be a shout to start. I thought he's looked quietly good in his yeah. cameos. He's Would be since. another
0: candidate for that wide left kind of quasi midfield role.
1: Yeah, kind of stick him in there. Add a little, you know, or no, know, actually, knowing DeSantos, I think just to protect Baldissimo a bit, we might see an Owusu Alexandre Biquel trio kind of something a bit different, but allow Baldissimo to come in at a little later in the game. And because obviously DeSantos has been a little more cautious with Baldissimo, even if he's training fully, if you're a bit worried about his knocks, I based on what we've seen, he could easily be, you know, be called up to Canada later this month for World Cup qualifiers. Maybe they just, you know, start him off the bench and run a, a midfield trio of Owusu, Bikel, Alexandra. I think all the options are on the table there between the five of Owusu, Baldissimo, Bikel, Tybert. I think those are the five. And obviously it would be nice to see six with Patrick Metcalf thrown in there somewhere in the discussion, but maybe he gets a run off the bench. Maybe, fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, it'll be. it's nice to see the Whitecaps running it. At- almost full clip in terms of, you know, now basically Ali Adnan is the the odd man out in terms of options that aren't available, which is this'll be really the first week potentially that we'll be able to say that all year. It's felt, you know, somewhat compromised or limited up until this point. So that's a that's a positive for Mark DeSantis's side. As we as we head into this one Saturday night, which is a, no more eleven AM games. I'm excited for like a proper oh, Saturday I'm, night. I'm
1: I'm on the kind of the fence, so to speak, because I'm not going to lie. Sunday morning wasn't great, but I was able to go enjoy the rest of my evening. It it gives
0: it gives and it takes away to a certain Saturday
1: night. night, I I think the best of all of them are Saturday morning games because Mm. it sets the tone for you. You know, you get that out of the way in the weekend. You enjoy the rest of your day. Saturday, you've got Sunday. I think Sunday night's the worst.
0: Yeah, because Sun- you, Sunday
1: night's no good. It's kind of in the back of your head all weekend that there's a game coming up and it's right at the back end of your weekend. I think Sunday morning wasn't bad. You know, I went, I went to the beach on Sunday. I, I was enjoying myself. And I think Saturday night's a tough one because I like the time. It's always a nice time, but it's just like Saturday night. You really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you can you can make a case. For Power me,
1: rankings. Friday night's the best one, actually. I'm gonna put that out there. I, think I was Friday gonna say actually,
0: good. I really like midweek and Friday night matchups. Those are. I like those,
1: midweek too. I those are like those mid-week.
0: are good shouts, and I think probably my top choices. But yeah, I I think I like how Saturday night you know becomes a bit of if you you just have to embrace it and make an event out of it, and then and then it's all good. But yeah, moving forward to two predictions now that we've talked lineups final little bit of business on this preview podcast good news we both picked up points with our predictions last week you know favoring skc it seemed like an easy bet at least we were rewarded for it neither of us were able to pick up the score line though i had a 2-0 you had a 2-1 just you know i I wasn't ready to go 3-0 and and so it didn't quite work out, but, but nice to see that we're, we're both picking up some steam. I'm now at 500 in terms of my predictions, So I got three points out of six matches. Alex is at two points out of six matches. You certainly had some VAR uh, difficulties kind of taking away some points from you. So I think that, yeah, the two is a bit, um, a bit unkind for how good your predictions have been so far, but, uh, let's try to get a pulse of this match. Alex. How are you feeling? What are we thinking? Heading into the break? Can the White caps build some momentum, or is this a third straight loss?
1: I think this is I'm gonna go for the White caps win on this one as rare as it as is. I'm just looking at Houston's roster. I think Houston did win at home, and it's tough to play in the Texas heat, but I just think the White caps did look good in the other game. They played in the heat this year against Toronto. Typically, whenever the Whitecaps have been embarrassed, they usually bounce back quite well. At least, at least last year and this year. You know, in 2019, it was just kind of it would pile up. They've they've shown to be good at at being resilient and piled up. Last game before the break, obviously with the bye week for them. I'm I'm I think I'm actually gonna go for a win here. Just they're gonna bust their slump of of away wins or whatever their away record. I say, you know what? Let's say two-one victory. It's not going to be, t- you know, it's it's Houston. That's low event. It's the white caps, but uh, at a certain point, it, something's got to give, and I think a two-one win it just makes sense based on the factors that have been outlined f- ahead of this one.
0: Okay, that's that's interesting. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I've been struggling with this one because it's so. It's such, it's such a, sets up for such a low event cagey match, right? And those ones are always difficult to predict. Like I could, I could very easily see this being one where each team has less than one expected goal, you know, and it's just kind of those,
1: and it's three, two,
0: those limited and it, it could turn out that way. It could also be a penalty. It could be a set know, piece, right? So you've picked, you've picked two to one, correct? Yes. For the White whitecaps. So I'm going for for similar vibes, but minus a late goal. So we're going we're going the ultimate. Oh, there's some positives to build on heading into the break. One-one draw.
1: Ooh, that's so mediocre.
0: That just you know yeah, Houston will be satisfied. Vancouver will be satisfied. Lots of positives to build on, but no real result to speak of. I just feel like that's the way this one's gonna go. So uh, yeah, one-one draw. I was toying with picking Houston. I just can't, after looking into their roster, after studying the team, doing all this stuff for the preview, I can't bring myself to do it. I do feel like the Whitecaps at least get something out of this match. I'm just not confident it's going to be a full three points.
1: The thing is with the Whitecaps, they've had a few streaks like this under Mark DeSantos where it's like X games since this happened or X games since this. And they always break at the like most surprising moments, right? It's like right now they've got the two games without a goal. I think if you're looking at the minutes, that's 90-180. Uh, their game against uh, – their their last goal came against Montreal. It's It's been about 200 minutes since they last scored a goal. They haven't scored an open play goal through nearly 600 minutes. It just feels like they're so close to breaking those slumps. That Houston Dynamo away is the perfect game where – knowing the caps, they go up inside the third minute to break like, an open play goal and everyone's like, oh my goodness, it happens. And then Houston scores and you're like, oh shoot. And then there's like a 55th minute corner to win it. And then it's like, well, that was, that was it. That's, that's just the vibe I'm getting, but it was just something I'm feeling an open, like if I'm going to further expand on the prediction, I feel like an early 10, inside 10 minute, like open play white caps goal, just to like really make people like, oh, they can do that. And then for the rest of the game, like nothing from open
0: play. Just Yeah. I'll add, like, I think that the Whitecaps, I picked my one, one draw. I think they're going to get one from open play. Like it feels like it's time. And it also feels like there's enough room there defensively, especially off the back of a, a pretty poor defensive performance that maybe the Whitecaps can capitalize on some stuff. Houston feels like a good team to break the streak against.
1: Yeah. I just, it feels like they're due for an open play goal. Like if they go into the break, has to but happen that, eventually, right? Well, it's like at a certain point, like someone's going to finish. And the thing is, they actually, they should have an open play goal, XG or not. I just think of Diber Caicedo, just, you know, being a little too patient against Colorado. I think Dahomey just walking it over against Minnesota United. I just think of these little chances that had the, the wind blown a different way. It would have you know, wouldn't have gone in and maybe the Whitecaps aren't so stressed and they aren't carrying the weight of having, (laughs) you know, how tough is that as a forward thinking? We haven't scored from open play. A guy like Lucas Cavallini was on fire heading into the start of the season. Everything he touched turned into gold. And now he's all of a sudden he's got one goal in six games and it was a back post header. Like at a certain point, the monkey has to be taken off the back. And I'm expecting a proper like ugly goal. Like I'm expecting... Like Dahomey deflected cross to Cavallini, who deflected shot goes past, you know, Marin maybe goal. maybe
0: it's off a knee or off a hip or off a yeah
1: or some some yeah some sort of greasy transitional moment where just the ball starts bouncing all over the box a Cavallini big de- a
0: big deflection on a long shot something like that
1: Cavallini cuts inside on his left, shoots far post, hits a defender's leg, goes near post, like something very jammy. But at this point, you take it, get the monkey off your back.
0: All right, well, does that, that pretty much bring us to the end of the preview? Any any final notes, any final thoughts before we sign off here? I think poof on that note, just
1: shout out to the, to the partners over at Macy's Sports. If you guys want to win AMLS official 2020 ball, as mentioned earlier, you can do that via our social channels. Still plenty of time to enter. We'll close it on Sunday. So enter, tag your friends follow the instructions it'll you know a chance to win the ball it'll be worth it it's a nice ball i've seen it it's it's, it's definitely something you wouldn't want to, to to let go ignored so uh do that aside from that you can find me on twitter at @alexgangeris i like got bts fancity btsfancity.com a bit of a, a shorter episode this week but uh, we'll have a lot to dive into after the break it's after this game plus in our live shows so stay tuned for all that i mean after that skc game was a bit of a downer, but I hopefully this Houston game raises spirits and gives us plenty to talk about in the coming weeks.
0: Yeah, and don't forget we will be doing a live show in the lead up to the match on Saturday, so uh, stay tuned for that. 86 Forever YouTube is the place to find it, as well as all of our Twitter accounts. You can find me at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com uh, You can find the podcast at third sub pod on Twitter the third sub on Instagram make sure to check out Alex's article when it drops about the formation stuff obviously 86 forever we're rolling out all of our typical pre and post match coverage and uh, yeah look forward to checking out the match on the weekend seeing you guys on the live show and uh, after when we have this break I think we're going to dive into some more guests obviously Canadian soccer news of, of any type maybe some more reflective content you know just some conversations rather than having to dive into the ins and outs of matches week after week so it'll kind of be fun to have a little break and do some different stuff for a bit so if that's the kind of podcasting you like then definitely stay tuned for that and uh, we'll we'll chat again soon